Good evening. We welcome you to this Good Friday Tenebrae service on this most solemn of days. Come and worship our God. Let us join the psalmist in Psalm 23 saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Let us worship God together. Please join me in our Good Friday prayer as printed in the bulletin. Our most gracious and loving God, this night we, your children, have come together to worship you. We have come together to give you thanks for your saving love. We come to remember the suffering and death of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom your fullness dwells and who is our salvation. In his wounds we are healed. Speak to us throughout this service of darkness, and at the end, bring us out into the light of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
the religious leaders who collaborated with the Roman occupation were conspiring against Jesus. They had gathered in the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest. This man had received the high priesthood at the hand of Valerius Gratus, the former Roman governor, and now retained the office under Pontius Pilate. They all were planning to quietly arrest and destroy Jesus so as to avoid a revolt among the Jews. Then one of the twelve named Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What will you give me if I deliver Jesus to you for the governor? When they heard the offer, they were glad and promised Judas thirty pieces of silver. From that hour, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. At the beginning of the feast, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the disciples of Jesus approached him and asked, Where do you wish us to prepare the paschal meal? Jesus took two of his disciples and instructed them, Go into the city, and you will see a man there carrying a water jar. He will show you a suitable place. The two did as Jesus commanded. They entered the city, where they found the man with the water jar. He brought them to a large upper room. When evening had come, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you truly that one of you is going to betray me. The disciples were stunned with grief and began to protest one after the other. Surely not I. And Jesus replied, The betrayer is one of you, dipping his hand in the dish with me. The Son of Man is fulfilling scripture, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Then Judas slipped out into the night. After, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after reciting the blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples as he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then taking the cup with the traditional blessing, he gave it to his disciples as he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is being shed for many. I tell you in truth that I shall not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it fresh in the kingdom of God. Having sung a hymn, they left the city for the Mount of Olives.
Please join me for the unison reading. As they walked, Jesus said to his disciples, you will all desert me this very night. So it is written in the prophet Zechariah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then Peter protested, though all desert, I will remain by you. Jesus replied, I tell you truly that in this very night, before the cock crows twice, you shall deny me three times. Still, Peter maintained, even though I must die with you, I will never deny you. And so declared all the disciples. Jesus halted at an olive grove called Gethsemane. Then going apart with Peter, James, and John, he left them on watch and continued a little farther alone. Then he fell on his face in anguished prayer. Soon he returned to the three on watch and found them sleeping. Rousing them, he asked Peter, could you not watch with me for just one hour? Watch and pray that you are not put to the test, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, Jesus went apart in troubled prayer, and again he returned to find the disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. A third time, Jesus withdrew to pray, and a third time he found the disciples sleeping. Then Jesus said, Sleep on and finish your rest. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Here comes my betrayer.
Jesus had not finished speaking before Judas, one of his own disciples, arrived with a group of Roman soldiers and other armed men from the temple. Now the betrayer had arranged with the authorities for a sign and had said, the man who I, whom I kiss is the one you want. In accord with his arrangement, Judas went directly to Jesus and cried out, greetings, master. Then he gave him the kiss. Jesus responded, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Immediately the soldiers laid hands on Jesus and held him fast. Then one of the disciples with Jesus drew his sword and cut off an ear from the slave of the high priest. But Jesus said to him, sheath your sword. All who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do not know that I can call upon my father and that he will respond at once with more than 12 lineages of angels. Then turning to the mob, Jesus continued, have you come for me as against a rebel bandit with swords and clubs? Why did you not seize me in the temple where I sat teaching any day? Were you so afraid of the religious authorities that you must come for me by stealth? Nevertheless, your actions are fulfilling the words of the prophets. Then all of his disciples forsook him and fled. The scripture reading for tonight is from the book of Isaiah, beginning in the 52nd chapter at the 13th verse. Hear the word of the Lord. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals, so he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, may the word just read point to the word to come, and may it all work together to serve your glory. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So when I was about eight years old, I became quite convinced that a woman named Mrs. Barnaby had taken up residence in my closet. 
and I couldn't be convinced otherwise, and I was pretty sure she intended me harm. Needless to say, I was an imaginative child who believed in magic and monsters. I'm older now, of course, but Good Friday makes me wonder if monsters are real. The passion of Christ puts the depravity of humanity on gruesome display. We listen in horror as Judas betrays, as Peter denies, as the high priest and Pilate allow this gross injustice to occur. We listen as the bloodthirsty crowd calls for the death of an innocent man, the only man without sin. Good Friday is the darkest day of the year, and it is chock full of monsters. Perhaps the most difficult aspect of bearing witness to today's events is the shame that we feel. No matter how many times we've heard the passion, somewhere deep inside we know that we bear the same monstrous tendencies, that we are in some way complicit. And we wonder, are there monsters among us still? Is there a monster in me? With palms still laying green in the streets and the table still set from last night's supper, Jesus experiences the very worst of humanity on his last day on the earth. The people who just days before were singing and cheering in the streets are deafening in their silence today. Maybe they're home resting, maybe they're busy at work, perhaps they're silent in the crowd, or perhaps they're swept away by the violent passion and they too are crying for Christ to be crucified. And the disciples, those closest to Jesus, betray, deny, disappear, leaving him to face the time of trial all alone. And we like to think, of course, that we would have stayed. We would have spoken up in his defense. We would have fought for him. We would have died for him. But on Good Friday, we're forced to face the feeling in our gut that tells us that we are guilty too. Betrayal, denial, desertion. In these moments, we see undeniable glimpses of ourselves. And we can know that these glimpses are true because when we fail to love one another as Christ commanded us to, we are complicit. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When we fail to love our neighbor well, we know that we're leaving Jesus alone to suffer in his identification with all who are crucified by our indifference every single day. The hard truth is that we are quick to despise and to hold of no account. So about the time Mrs. Barnaby moved into my closet, my brother Ben and I would play a game in our neighborhood at night where we were spies and we were trapped behind enemy lines. And our arch nemesis in this game was a man named Mr. Johnson. I'll call him Mr. Johnson. 
And he lived alone on our block. He was an older man, and his house was kind of old, and the painting was faded and peeled away in places. And his yard was full of weeds. And Ben and I would pretend that there was a key hidden, and we would go and sort of brazenly touch the side of the house and then run away shrieking and yelling. I'm embarrassed to say that on occasion we may have run, rung his doorbell and then run away. Little monsters, indeed. And of course, we're not alone in this kind of childhood cruelty. In the classic American novel, To Kill a Mockingbird, Boo Radley is described by Jem and Scout to their friend Dill as a malevolent phantom. Jem describes Boo in this way. He's six feet tall and eats a steady diet of squirrels and cats. His hands are bloodstained, his teeth yellow and rotten, his eyes popped and he drools most of the time. So despite the fact that Boo leaves his neighbors trinkets and treasures, Boo was for them a monster, or at least good fodder for childhood ghost stories. And sadly, we know all too well that gossip and judgment and exclusion continue long after childhood. They continue when we pass the homeless and avoid eye contact and pray for the light to change. They continue when we judge the addicted and the mentally ill as too lazy or too weak to just pull themselves together. When we ignore those with whom we disagree, we continue to judge and demonize and despise people we do not know when we reduce them to special interest groups or political parties. We are, all of us, complicit still. No one, not one human being, save Jesus himself, escapes complicity in sin. And we are never monsters more than when we make monsters out of one another. But there is good news, even today. And the good news is this, that the sin of humanity is not the only actor in the passion. Our scripture reading from today makes it clear that Jesus is at the center of Good Friday. What happens on Good Friday doesn't happen to Jesus. It happens because of Jesus. Jesus is on a mission suffering on behalf of us all, and we account him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but Jesus willingly allows his own disfiguration, donning the mask of a monster. Jesus is not the victim of circumstance. He commits himself freely to this course of action, making his life an instrument of God's healing. So the episodes of this horrible day are really episodes in the story of God's ongoing care for the world. Though we cannot see it from the shadows of Good Friday, and we're right to repent and to grieve today, we can know that Sunday will come, that Christ will prosper, that he will be exalted, lifted up, and held high. We can know that our Savior will bring justice and salvation and blessing to all the nations. And knowing this, that Jesus' obedience and sacrifice is at the center of Good Friday, tells us something important about God. 
Good Friday tells us that God is love. Indeed, never is the love of God clearer than on Good Friday. So much of what we can know through Jesus and Christ's obedient willingness to take on the iniquity of all, us all tells us something profound and true about the love of God for the world. If Easter Sunday tells us of God's power, perhaps Good Friday tells us something of God's love. So, through the power of the cross, perhaps this Good Friday calls us to move beyond our acknowledgement of complicity to active participation in God's love, to actively risk being despised by loving all as Christ loved all, especially those whom society has made into monsters. And this is no small task. This is not easy work. Indeed, it is work we are incapable of doing on our own. It is only through Christ and the cross that we can begin to participate in God's love. As biblical scholar Paul Henson reminds us, God's will is done where a human being, regardless of his or her standing in the eyes of the powerful, finds the highest expression of human dignity in expressing solidarity with fellow human beings through a love that acknowledges no bounds because its source is God. As we turn to God and ask that the Holy Spirit help our efforts, we begin to see those we have monsterized with new eyes. And now there is room for compassion and curiosity and a more generous and expansive love. Mr. Johnson has, of course, long since passed away. I'm sorry that I never knew him. And To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout says, Boo was our neighbor. He gave us two soap dolls, a broken watch and chain, a pair of good luck pennies, and our lives. Boo is a good man, and through him, Scout learns much about the human ability to empathize with and love even people we least expect to. Were we to embrace loving in the way Jesus modeled for us, we might see our capacity for love grow and grow to a point where there were no longer asterisks or exceptions to who we love. There would only be love. Mother Teresa once said, I have found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. So on this dark night, I wonder if we might begin by taking a look at our own lives and identifying those we despise or hold of no account, those we have made into monsters. And we might take a simple, obedient, humble step in love towards them, making room for compassion, listening to people's stories, suspending judgment, in Good Friday, we see God's love poured out for us. And the power of that love, if we let it, it can pour through us. And when we open ourselves up to that great love, we're turning on the light. We're revealing what has always been true, that there is, in the end, nothing in the closet. And that the monsters of our own making are just waiting for someone, anyone, to see the child of God on the other side of the mask. For the light 
shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Those who had seized Jesus brought him to Caiaphas, whom the Romans had made a high priest. Peter followed at a distance as far as the courtyard. There he sat with the attendants and warmed himself by the fire. The high priest had gathered his whole council, and they began to arrange the case against Jesus, which they would present to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The charge was that Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews, and they brought in many false witnesses, but to no avail. Finally, two came forward and testified. We heard this man say, I will tear down this temple made with hands, and within three days build another not made with hands. The testimony was evidence that Jesus claimed an authority over temple affairs, which traditionally belonged only to the rulers of Israel, and in those days Israel was ruled from Rome. Yet even these witnesses were unable to agree on their testimony. Finally, Caiaphas stood up and examined Jesus directly. Have you no answer to these charges? demanded the high priest. Jesus remained silent and said nothing. Then the high priest put the question of kingship in terms of the royal titles, anointed and son of God. Are you the anointed one, the son of the blessed? He probed. Jesus answered, I am. And you shall see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest turned and said, what need have we of witnesses? He has condemned himself. They all concurred that Jesus was indeed worthy of death. Then those holding Jesus began to spit on him. They covered his face and were striking him as they taunted him and said, O anointed one, prophesy who it is who is striking you. Now Peter was warming himself in the courtyard when a small slave girl entered. She confronted Peter and said, You also were with this Jesus the Nazarene. Peter quickly gave a denial. I do not know what you are talking about. He replied and went outside into the gateway. Meanwhile, the cock crowed. The slave girl followed Peter out and said to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Again, Peter denied knowing Jesus. After a little while, the bystanders said directly to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you speak with a Galilean accent. Then Peter began to swear with an oath. I do not know this person of whom you are speaking. 
But the cock interrupted him as it crowed for the second time. Immediately, Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. When morning arrived, all of the chief priests, along with the other Roman collaborators, bound Jesus and delivered him over to Pontius Pilate, the imperial Roman governor. When Judas saw what was happening, he knew that Jesus was doomed, and he repented. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and confessed, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. What is that to us, they responded. That is your affair. Judas threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. Then he went out and hanged himself. Picking up the silver pieces, the chief priest said, it is unlawful to put this silver into the treasury for it is blood money. Whereupon they used the money to buy the potter's field for the burial of strangers. Therefore, that field is known to this day as the field of blood.
Jesus stood before the Roman governor as the accusers made their charge. We found this man perverting our nation, they said. He was forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor and proclaiming himself anointed king. The governor asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you have said so. The chief priests were accusing him of many things. Therefore, Pilate again spoke to Jesus. Have you no answer to give, he asked? Look at how many accusations they are making. Jesus astonished Pilate by, by remaining si silent. Please join me in the next reading. At the feast of the Passover, the governor used to release a prisoner, and some were re-arching Pilate to do so at this time. Now there was a notable rebel in prison with those who had committed murder during the insurrection. His name was Barabbas. Therefore, the chief priests arranged a demonstration to demand Barabbas, Pilate asked them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus the anointed one? The demonstrators shouted, Barabbas. Pilate responded, what shall I do then with Jesus the anointed one? The crowd shouted, crucify him. Pilate continued, are you certain of his guilt? The crowd took up the chant, crucify him, crucify him. Again, Pilate spoke, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, cried the demonstrators. Then Pilate agreed to release Barabbas. But Jesus, the anointed one, he handed over to his soldiers for scorching and crucifixion. Soldiers led Jesus away within the governor's palace. There they assembled the whole battalion. They clothed Jesus in royal purple. They set a crown of thorns upon his head and shoved a reed between his fingers for a scepter. They began to mock him by kneeling before him and proclaiming, Hail, King of the Jews. They also spat upon him and smote him on the head with a stick. Then after mocking him, they took away the purple rose, robe returned his clothes, and brought him out to crucify him.
On the road they met Simon of Cyrene coming in from the countryside. They compelled him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means skull. There they crucified him. They offered him wine mingled with myrrh, but he refused it. His garments they divided among themselves, casting lots for them. Over his head they inscribed the charge against him, the king of the Jews. Also, there were two insurrectionists crucified with him, one to his right and one to his left. Those who passed by were shaking their heads in scorn, saying, so you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the priestly collaborators mocked him as they said to one another, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the anointed one, the king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Even the two crucified with him reviled him.
Now from midday there was darkness over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At that hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, words that mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders said, look, he is calling for Elijah. One of them put a sponge of, full of vinegar on a stick and laid it to his lips. Others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus, having uttered a loud cry, breathed his last breath. Suddenly the centurion of the temple was torn the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Even the tombs of the dead were opened. Now when the centurion on watch and the others who were with him saw all that was taking place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this man was the son of God. <laughs> 